Well, very good. Our topic today, as you may have guessed, is marriage. We are going to do Q&A after the message, so if you have a question, you can text a question to the number you will see on the screen, and or you can write a question out in the Ask Pastor Brad card. Larry and Allison are actually going to join me for Q&A after the message, so uh, please, if you have a question for them regarding their marriage and their circumstances, I'm sure they would appreciate uh, the question. Let's pray before we go forward, shall we? Holy God, we are grateful for the architecture of the way you have built humanity. We are grateful for the gift of marriage. We pray, Holy God, that you would open our eyes to see the wonderful truths you have for us in your word. We pray, God, that your truth would penetrate our hearts in ways that actually uh, help us love each other well and love you well. In your name we pray, amen. So we're in a series called The Body. Uh, we have been in this series for a bit. We're going to continue to be in this series a bit. The goal is to explore why did God give us bodies and what are we to do with these bodies in relationship with each other and how do we live out bodily life in relationship to God. And uh, we talked last week about marriage. Marriage is a, a meeting of the mind and the heart, but it's actually also a meeting of the body. And uh, we're going to talk about marriage uh, not next week, but the week after that. And then we're going to talk about singleness. We're going to talk about divorce. And then we'll head into the rest of the summer. Last Sunday, we talked about uh, how uh, God designed marriage to be a supernatural friendship. We talked about how any friendship that you have and that lasts is born out of the U2 moment. And now, this is not U2 Bono U2. This is U2 as in, I like basketball. You like basketball? You too? I like basket weaving. You like basket weaving? You too? And when we, we meet someone who has this common you too, then we begin to build. We have the, the fertile ground for a friendship. And we talked last week about how the, the, the gravity of whatever that thing is actually reinforces and, and provides a firm foundation for whatever we're building that friendship upon. Uh, basket weaving is one thing, but let's say the U2 moment is, I've discovered God loves me. You too? Or, uh, I've discovered the amazing grace of God. God loves me not because of what I do, but because of who I am. You've discovered that too? I've discovered that, that uh, everything was made by Jesus, through Jesus, and for Jesus, including this relationship. Have you discovered that too? When we build a friendship upon the greatest thing, then it really becomes a supernatural friendship. So in marriage, our friendship begins actually not in the other, it begins in Christ. Thus we would say, let's read this together, we submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. One of the things you'll see in, uh, in Christian circles often is this idea of the marriage as a triangle. You'll see this on, on the screen. Uh, we submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Christ is at the top, is at the pinnacle, is at the summit 
of this relationship. And the other two angles are, uh, are built upon the, the man and the woman, and we have, we're moving toward Christ. And we, we talked about um, how we, the, the, the Scriptures, we are called to uh, find our life in Christ. So the more I find my life in Christ, the more my wife finds her life in Christ, the closer we come to Christ and the closer we come to each other. In the, you see in the next angle there, next triangle. So there's a certain geometry, <laughs> a truth that comes out in marriage. The closer we go, we grow to God, the closer we grow toward each other. But what is marriage for? Now, I, I noted last week that uh, most of what I talk about in this series about marriage is coming from Pastor Tim Keller's book, The Meaning of Marriage. So anything I say that you think is profound, accredit it to him because he's smarter than I am. If you're looking for a great book on marriage, his is my favorite, The Meaning of Marriage by Pastor Tim Keller. Keller puts the, uh, the purpose of marriage this way. Marriage is for helping each other become our future selves, the new creations God is making us. Now, what does that mean? Well, he asks us to imagine this. Imagine this. You're hiking up a great mountain. You're hiking up this great mountain with your best friend. Since the time you left the bottom of the mountain, it has been cold. It has been foggy. It has been drizzly. You can see the trail ahead, but you really can't see much more. <coughs> you wonder if the summit actually exists. One night, you make camp, and the next morning, you wake up, <gasps> everything's changed. The fog has lifted, the sun is shining, the clouds are gone, and above you is this magnificent work of nature. Above you is the summit. You can see the peak of the mountain. And you look down below, and you see how far you've come. It's beautiful. You, oh, my goodness, honey, look how far we've come. But you recognize, while that is all beautiful, it has been a lot of uphill work. Uh, there has been some rain. There has been some fog. There has been some drizzle. But as you look forward to where you two are headed, you're seeing the radiance of the sun shining upon this mountain peak. You're seeing where you're going. And you look at each other and you say, honey, look where our destination is. It's grand, it's gorgeous. This is the Christian journey. But of course now, it's a journey of the old and new at the same time. The Apostle Paul talks about this old and new as the old self and the new self. And this is what we live in in the now. You were taught with regard to your former way of life, the bottom of the mountain or before you, the, the, earlier on in the trail, to put off your old self and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. The old self, where we were, that old self struggled with the fog and the drizzle and the brokenness and the anxieties and the need to prove ourselves and the bad habits and the besetting sins. But then in Christ, a new self is being born. The new self that we are walking into 
It's still you, but it's us liberated from our sins and our flaws and our anxieties and these besetting sins. And yes, sometimes the clouds of the old self make, all, make the vision of the new self almost completely invisible, but every once in a while, as we're walking with our beloved, we see that the clouds have parted and we get a glimpse of what's to come. And so from God's perspective, Our falling in love with each other is to look at our supernatural best friend and get a glimpse of what God is creating in them. To say, you know what, honey, I see the new creation in you. I want to be part of what God is doing in you. I want to partner with God and you in this journey. And when we get there, I'm going to look at your magnificence and say, I always knew you would be like this. And you're going to look at me and you're going to say, honey, I always knew you would be like this. I got glimpses of it on earth, but now, with Christ, look at you. This is what marriage is for. But what do we need on the journey? Well, God's going to give us some power to go on this journey. I'm going to talk about three things here, the power of truth, the power of love, and the power of grace. Let's start with the power of truth. Writers for centuries have have talked about how uh, life is a bit of a costume party, isn't it? We move through life trying to, to put on our best dress, our best face to impress the masses, and it often works until we get married, right? In marriage, it's absolutely impossible to sustain the mask. Keller says, life will allow us to be Cinderella at the ball for only so long. The minute we say, I do, is the minute the clock strikes 12 and the journey of truth begins. And we can fight it all we want, but the reality is marriage flings people together in closer, more intimate quarters than they have ever had to exist. And in such close quarters, the masks crumble. The power of truth, it is wired into the very nature of God's design for marriage. So if your friends in the office see that, you know, she seems a little nervous, your spouse is learning the truth that, well, actually you struggle with anxiety. Or if your friends see you as eh, kind of prideful, Your spouse may learn you're actually a little opinionated and selfish. Or while your friends may see you as, oh, you know, he's a little flaky, your spouse is realizing, you know, you're actually kind of unreliable and disorganized. I once had a friend named Ike. Ike worked at a foundry, and his job was simple. He'd get all dressed up in this protective gear, and he'd take these big tongs, and he would grab a gold bar, and he would plunge this gold bar into this solution. And he did so because this solution would purify the gold bar. The, the more the bar was purified, the more it was worth. And so as he plunged this gold bar in this, into this solution, the impurities would rise to the top. This is God's design for marriage. <laughs> this is the power of truth. Marriage is like this, this foundry, and God plunges us into it, and in that relationship, 
the impurities begin to rise to the surface. Why is this important? Because God knows truth is going to set each of us free. We are slaves, of course, to the lies we believe. One of the ways God refines us and purifies us us is He tells us the truth. And one of the ways we participate in with that as a friend, as a supernatural best friend, is to confirm that truth. Ephesians 4.25, let's read this together. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. There's a one body unity that comes in marriage. How much more should we speak truth to each other in that refinery and in, in that foundry of marriage. And some of that truth is very easy to hear. You know, honey, you are a beautiful child of God. That's really wonderful to hear. But some truth is hard to hear. Honey, you're addicted to your job and it's destroying us. Both of those truths, though, exist to set you free. The second thing we're going to need on the journey is the power of love, which, of course, is easy to say. You know, every marriage needs some love. But let's talk about the actual power of love within the relationship. A lot of us come into marriage with an estimation of our self-worth. And that estimation of your self-worth is born out of so many different things. It's born out of a lot of things that have been said to us by friends, by coworkers, by fellow students, by our parents, by our siblings, when we play multiple loops in our brain to help us understand who we are. And some of them are positive and born out of God's truth, but some of them are negative. Some of us live with a loop that says you're not smart. Some of us live with a loop that says you're not worthy of love. You're worthless, or uh, you're not going to amount to anything. But in marriage, in a a healthy, Christ-centered marriage that has truth and that has love, in that marriage, those lies can actually be reprogrammed by our supernatural best friend. To to the extent that our, our supernatural best friend will lovingly speak truth. Honey, you are not worthless. You're my love. You're my best friend. I I didn't marry junk. I married a masterpiece made in the very image of God, created by the one who is love, to give and receive love. And Keller writes, to be highly esteemed by someone you highly, to be highly esteemed by someone you highly esteem is the greatest gift in the world. This principle explains why ultimately to know that the Lord of the universe loves you is the strongest foundation any human being can have. Why is that true? Well, if I know that the perfect lover The almighty maker of heaven and earth, the one who crafted Mount Everest and the northern lights, if I know that I am made in that lover's image and that truth is then reflected back to me by my spouse, who is anyone to tell me I am worthless? And if that love is respected, if I reflect that back to my spouse, who is anyone to tell her that she is worthless? I mean, I don't have to listen to all the hate talk of the world around me because I have been loved by the best lover, the perfect lover, God, and I'm being loved by the most important lover in my life, my supernatural best friend. 
This is why we are to love as Christ loved us. To walk in the way of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. The love of Christian marriage, it's not just I feel positively about, about you or you give me a quiver in my liver. It's not, not that type of love. It is self-giving, sacrificial love. I love you as an action. I love you because Christ loves you and me. But of course, the powers of truth and the power of love cannot live in isolation. There's a third leg to the stool here, and it's this, the power of grace. Now, I always try to redefine grace. Some of you, you're, if, if you're, you've heard me do this so many times, you're like, yes, pastor, we've heard it. But I used to do something years ago where I would ask people on the street, hey, can you define grace for me? And so often people couldn't define it, and grace is so important in Christianity that I want to redefine it every time we get to it. So what is grace? Grace is God's unmerited favor. Grace is God doing for us what we could never do for ourselves, not because we bat, an, uh, bat a thousand morally, but God gives us grace and favor because we are his kids. We're made in his image, all right? Grace is absolutely necessary for any relationship to prosper, whether it's your spouse or whether it's a friend. Grace actually provides the fertile soil we need for two other things, and that's forgiveness and repentance. Let me show you. Why do people struggle forgiving people? Well, our first answer typically is born out of our own hurt, right? I can't forgive that person because that blankety-blank hurt me, right? It's born out of our hurt, but that's only the first layer. It may be true that that blankety-blank hurt you, and that hurt should not be diminished, of course, but the second layer of our inability to forgive another is, and I would never hurt someone that way, right? As long as we feel superior to the other, we will never be able to forgive the other. We might have truth. We might have been truly wronged. But truth will destroy love if not seasoned with grace. Ephesians 4 calls the disciples of Jesus to be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. God forgave us in Christ out of his grace. And without the grace that makes forgiveness possible, there can be no repentance. What's repentance? I always like to define that as well. I'm moving this way, my own way. I'm captaining my own ship, and I've discovered I tend to be driving my life into a ditch. So what I do is I turn around and I seek to walk in the ways of Christ. I seek to come under the rule and reign of God's loving leadership in my life and let Him rule. Rather than that way, I'm going to change direction. I'm going to let God's way rule in my life. I like uh, this example. I had a Cocker Spaniel 
that taught me about repentance years ago. Uh, the Cocker Spaniel's name was Sebastian. And um, I thought it was so cool when I would go to the park and I would see the people, the dog owners, you know, who had these dogs that would just walk right next to them. They'd throw a Frisbee and that dog would run and jump and they'd get a picture of it and so forth. And I wanted a dog like that. So I'd go to the park with my Cocker Spaniel Sebastian. I'd take the leash off and what would Sebastian do? Well, what would I do? Sebastian, you get back here. Sebastian. I'd yell and I'd scream and I'd run after him. And then when I'd finally catch him, I'd put him on that leash and I'd scold him. You bad dog. Bad, bad dog. Don't ever do that again. Right? So, uh, because Sebastian would not behave well, I took Sebastian to obedience training. And uh, Sebastian, under the proper guidance of a proper obedience trainer, uh, began to quickly learn certain things. The time came in obedience training when uh, after Sebastian learned to heal, I could take my, my leash off. Well, the first time I did that, what did Sebastian do? He ran. What did I do? Sebastian, bad dog, get back here. You The obedience trainer kindly pulled me aside and said, Mr. Kendall, just so you know, your dog's not going to come back to you if your dog is afraid of you and thinks you want to hurt them. <laughs> a better strategy might be show some kindness to the dog and coax the dog back with that kindness. So that's what I would do. Come on, Sebastian. Here, here you go. Come on, come on, come on. Come on. You know, and when Sebastian would come back, I'd give Sebastian a big love, give him a treat, you know. We've grown up, a lot of us, with this idea that God is like a bad dog owner. <laughs> that God, when we stray off the path, that God is going to come after you with his great big judgment bat and bonk you, you on the head. And the truth of the scriptures is, yes, there are consequences to running away from God, from following our own path, but it's actually God's kindness that leads us to change direction. And turn around. Romans 2 4, God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance. Do you, let's just pause there for one second. I, sometimes this is new information for people, so I want you to hear it. Did you know that it's God's kindness towards you that wants to call you home? I don't know if that's new. If it is, it's, it's good news. I hope, I hope you hear that that's really good news. That God only wants you to come home, and he's going to wrap his arms around you and love you. He's not going to take a swing at you. God's kindness toward us is born out of his grace. Now, where does that grace come from? We all would like more grace in our relationships, right? The reality is you can't manufacture grace on your own. You can only reflect God's grace to another where do we best see that grace? We see it, Jesus hanging on the cross, okay? So these people have come. They have literally tortured the man. They have driven nails through his hands and his feet. They've put him up on a cross, and what's his response? Lord, send the angelic army down and destroy all of them. No. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And if you think, oh, I could never forgive another like that, well, just for a second, receive the truth that the Lord Jesus 
knows every one of our scorecards, knows none of us bats a thousand, and recognizes he, we need him. And so he says, I will take all of their sins upon me so they can have life. Once you receive that, once you realize the good news that God has forgiven you in Christ for every one of your sins and He will never reject you, how can you not then forgive another? I've received the forgiveness of God, and so I'm going to give it to you, of course, because I live in grace. I'm a recipient of grace. I will walk in grace forever, and thus I will be a bestower of grace upon the other. So grace, truth, and love, these are the things. These are the, the, this is like the gold power stuff, you know, that helps us move on this journey with our supernatural best friend toward Christ. One of the questions I've been asking the past many weeks we, we, is a question from Discovery Bible Experience. As you think of all we've talked about, what is God inviting you to do, change, or pray about? in response to this. If you were to choose just one thing from this message to focus on this week, walking together toward the summit of Christ, loving each other well in the power of Christ, loving, uh, speaking truth to one another, giving grace to one another, what is the one thing that you might hear the God, voice of God saying to you today? And as you ponder that, I'm going to close with this thought. I do a fair amount of weddings and when that, that bride and that groom are standing next to me, and I wear my one suit with my three tie, one of my three ties, <laughs> as they're standing in front of me, they've spent all this money on what they're wearing at that moment. There's a part of me that just really wants to say, it's all down here from here, hill from here, folks. Because <laughs> just so you know, you're just going to get older and uglier and fatter. I really want to say that but that is the natural way of looking at marriage. The supernatural way, the supernatural journey of marriage, Keller encapsulates with this. He says, what we should say to each other on our wedding day is, as great as you look today, honey, someday you will stand with me before God in such beauty that it will make these clothes look like rags. Let's pause there for Q&A. I'm going to invite Larry and Allison up. They're going to join me. If you're new to Faith Covenant Church, we do Q&A quite a bit. It's kind of a wonderful way to just thank you. If I've been unclear about something, uh, we can tackle it here. Uh, actually, I'll throw all the hard stuff to uh, Larry and Allison. So glad you're both here. <laughs> and we always reserve the right to be wrong. If you've written down a question, hold up your card and one of the ushers will come and grab it. All right, here's a question. When truth becomes too painful to speak about in marriage, what do you recommend a couple do to make truth a daily part of their marital conversation? Whew. Good luck. <laughs> I think the first thing that came to mind was 
we got to walk in the grace of Jesus, each one of us, so that, like Brad was talking about, the truth is overcome by grace. The truth of my sin and my brokenness is overshadowed by God's grace. If I'm not walking in that, I'm going to be running away from the truth and in marriage and hiding in marriage. But if I'm walking under God's grace on a daily basis, then I'm going to be able to face the truth. Now, a practice that Allison and I do is every night before we go to sleep, we look at each other and say, is there something we need to talk about? And probably many of you do the same. But we take Ephesians 4, in the chapter you're talking about, where it says, don't let the sun go down on your wrath. We take that seriously and we go, every night, we're not going to let this day go by before we deal with anything and everything that's standing between us and our marriage. The only thing I would add to that is the longer you wait to deal with the truth, um, the hard truths, the harder it gets to talk about them. So if you can make a practice of kind of just filtering through those truths on a regular basis, it's helpful. The problem, though, is sometimes it's just going to be a painful conversation. But the health of the marriage is more important than being comfortable all the time. You know, and when we do face the truth and we're bringing it into the light, that's when God's grace pours in. God gives more grace to the humble, the Word says. And so when we take that courageous step to humble ourselves and say, I was wrong, God's grace over and over comes through and becomes so much more real for the next time that we have to Mm. face the truth. That's good. Um, Number of questions coming in here. Um, Is the love of marriage possible to one that never gets married? (laughs) that's a good one that's a very good one and I was single I got married when I was 39 just turned 39 single for a long time and wanting to get married and wanting to experience the love of marriage and wondering God what's going on and yet through that time God would constantly ask me is my love enough for you Mm, so good is my love enough for you and I began to dig into the word and found out something that Brad said in the first service, that all of us participate in the marriage covenant because we are all the bride of Christ. Mm. We are all loved by the perfect husband who laid down his life for us to make us the pure, spotless bride. Mm. And that is the basis of marriage anyway. Mm. That's the true thing. That's the authentic, real marriage anyway, if you're married or if you're single. Mm. So I would say, yes, you can experience the love of marriage, if you're married or not. And I'll add to that, in, in a, a season of my life where uh, my first wife left me for uh, something else, there was a time where I literally, same circumstance, to, a little different, where God essentially said, I will be your wife now. And that was very healing for me. It, it, it empowered me. It, the other thing I'll add, we're going to talk about singleness in just a little bit in a, a couple of weeks here. Um, who was the most fulfilled human to ever live on the face of the planet? Jesus. He wasn't married. He was single. Was Jesus fulfilled as a single person? He was. Did he have enough love in his life? He did. 
So I think there, there's a powerful truth in that uh, marriage alone cannot give the abundant life. Marriage is helpful. God uses everything in the journey toward a deeper understanding of what it means to be a child of His. Um, what was the first power? The first power was the power of truth. Um, I'll take this one. Um, this is a question. It's the, the person used uh, three triangles. Um, Christ at the center, husband and wife. Christ at the top of the angle, woman and woman. Christ at the top of the angle, husband and husband. Um, the same journey, question mark. The same, uh, I can't remember. I can't see, read the next one. Um, that question is too big for Q&A, <laughs> um, but we are going to address it in July, okay? So hang on tight. But I will say this in light of that question. There is not a relationship you have where you will not grow closer to each other if you both make Christ the center, okay? So the, any friendship, any relationship that you have the goal is, first and foremost, you're abiding in Christ. I had a, a mentor of mine once say, Pastor Brad, the greatest gift you will give your church, your marriage, your kids, is your abiding in Christ. So hear that. The greatest gift you will give to the people most meaningful in your life is your own abiding in Christ. The question of uh, the same-sex marriage issue we'll deal on, a, on, a, on another time at another time, because it's too big of an issue for right now. But my, my call to everyone in the room is make Christ the center and, and trust Him in that. We'll pause there. Could yeah? I just one thing? Yeah, absolutely. First John 4, 8, God is love. If any relationship that you are in, whether it's with a friend or a spouse or a coworker, anything, a child, if God is not the center and the source of that relationship, it's not going to be a loving relationship. That's a law because God is love. Mm. Good word. Thank you. Larry, I asked you last service. I'm going to ask you again. Would you, would you play, play? Would you pray? Would, would you play a song for us? No. Uh, would you pray uh, for the relationships in our church? Yeah, I'd be happy to. Thank you. Let's pray. Oh, God, we thank you for marriage. We thank you for the way you have designed it to display the love of Christ for us on the earth. And God, I just ask you to guide each person, whether single or married, here today into that covenant love of yours mm -hmm. that you would call them and that you would reveal to each one of us the beauty of your covenant, your perfect covenant, consummated at the cross, and to know that we are there, and all we have to do is to trust and to believe that and to walk that out by the power of your spirit today. Each person who is involved in a relationship or a marriage, Father, that you would deal with whatever difficulties are there, whatever struggles are there, whatever darkness is there, that you would enter in as light in the darkness and show them the way to walk that out. All this for your glory and honor, we mm -hmm. pray. In Jesus' name, amen.
Thank you both. You may have a seat. Give Larry and Allison a big round of applause. I, I do pray that uh, you will take some time uh, to visit with them after the service, go be a part of what they're doing in the Legacy Chapel today, hear what God is doing through their work. I am humbled every time one of our missionaries come, whether they're uh, uh, from YWAM or whether they're in, in Honduras full-time. Uh, it is just great to be a part of a church that supports the sharing of the good news all over the world, uh, but also it's, it's so uh, invigorating. I, after Larry and Allison, after you were talking earlier, I was like, wow, that's like one of the best apologetics, one of the best arguments for God ever, to see the grace and the beauty of, of God bestowed upon uh, this, this community in Honduras. It's just beautiful. We're going to uh, close with our closing prayer. I'm gonna ask you to stand. And uh, this is a prayer I've modified just a little bit uh, as we move through this series. We will have prayer people down front here for anyone uh, who would like prayer before you leave. Please join me, though, uh, with this. Let's pray. Loving and holy Lord, we are grateful to be your image bearers, made from love, born to love. Make of us walking temples of your Spirit. Make of us Jesus with skin on Christ ones. May your truth be embodied in this family of grace so all who see us see you. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Go in peace. Have a great week. Love well.